He thinks he's younger, and having a job is a necessity. He has to do this. He has to provide for his family. And trying to convince him will not work. It will make him angry and suspicious of your motives, wondering why you're trying to keep him from his job. Hi, I'm Bobby. I'm a certified caregiving consultant and a certified caregiving educator. I lead a caregiver support group in my community, and I've worked in the caregiving world for the last 18 years. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here we focus on the caregiver, offer some practical insights, and share some emotional support and maybe even share a laugh or two along the way, and we all know that laughing is, in fact, the best medicine. And don't forget the wine, Mike. Oh, no, I'll never forget the wine. So, last episode, we addressed a couple of questions we often get asked. This episode, will pick up where we left off. Bobby, another item that comes up uh, frequently for you is about anesthesia, and can it make, does it make, will it make, the dementia worse? I'm so glad that somebody contacted us with this question. I remember after uh, your dad had his heart attack and he was under anesthesia for the pacemaker, how his situation just spiraled downward almost immediately. Right. And I've since learned that anesthesia can make dementia worse. It doesn't always which is typical of anything having to do with dementia. If it's true for you, it might not be true for the next person. And there's many different forms of dementia in different different parts of the brain that are being affected by the different parts of dementia. So what's true for one person is not always true for the others. But the fact is, there are factors that have an effect on whether or not someone that has dementia declines after general anesthetic. So what are, what are some of those factors? Well, the first one is age. The older we are, the more vulnerable we are to side effects of anesthesia. Our brain, like the rest of us, does not respond in the same way that it once did. Like I always say, I don't bounce like I used to. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And someone like me, who is already sensitive to anesthesia, as I get older, that effect of it just takes longer and longer to wear off. And I warn doctors... Um, I'm a lightweight. Be careful. Don't give me too much of this stuff. Like your half doses of, of NyQuil, right? Or your <laughs> quarter right. doses of NyQuil. That's right. And speaking of NyQuil, uh, medical conditions and medications can also have an effect, right? Absolutely. The more health issues one has and the more medication one requires, the greater the chances of cognitive decline with the added stress of surgery. And just think of the many medications, so many people over the age of 65 who are more and more prone to dementia are already taking. I think you you saw a statistic on that. What what was that statistic? The average person over the age of 65 takes 11 or more different medications. Wow. And you're over 65 and you don't. Well, you take... I think that's something we'll talk about on another... Blood loss during surgery can reduce oxygen flow to the brain, resulting in even more cognitive impairment. And some people even have mini strokes under anesthesia or, you know, just that. A full-blown stroke. Absolutely. What about the different types of anesthesia? Now, this is something you definitely want to talk 
to with the doctor before deciding whether or not the surgery is absolutely necessary, and if so, how to go about doing it. Depending on the circumstances, the surgeon may need to use heavy sedation over a relatively long period of time, increasing the chance of a negative reaction. For less extensive procedures, he or she may opt to use a spinal block or twilight sleep instead, and this could lessen the risk. What is twilight sleep? That is a lighter form of anesthesia where you're not fully out, but you're not aware of what's happening. (laughs) You still don't feel the pain, but you're not deep under sedation, and that's done for more minor procedures, like when somebody has lipo, for instance. Ah, okay. (laughs) Okay. Now, the pre-existing dementia... You know, since dementia is a devastating brain disease and any procedure that causes increased stress on it could result in changes in function. So when you're dealing with somebody with dementia, you want to be very clear with the doctors that this is what they have, discuss with them the degree of anesthesia that's required and work together to make sure that it's the least amount to do the best that needs to be done. Something that we've talked about is what is the quality of of life? What is this surgery going to do? I mean, if it's a 96-year-old person or a 97-year-old person and it's a surgery like, say, cataracts or something like that, is the the risk and the the benefit commensurate? That's That's an excellent point. You know, we do have people living longer and longer, and the longer we live, the more problems we develop, and it, it is a matter of determining, does, it, does this have to be done? Yes, if somebody's having a heart attack, you're going to do everything you can for that. Um, if somebody is in their 90s and they're diagnosed, say, with breast cancer, right. you're not going to want to do a mastectomy. You may, may not want to treat it at all. Right, or the chemo. Exactly. Or, or a lot of different things. Again, it goes back to what's the quality of life in in the waning years. Absolutely. Now, it is important to note that sometimes these cognitive changes seen immediately after surgery are temporary. Hmm. For some patients, there can be a partial return to the pre-surgery state with more minor losses remaining. And we saw that with your dad. Right. He would go way down, and then he would come up to a certain level. Never to fully where he was before, but he would continue to bounce back. And every time we had a down, the bounce was less high. Absolutely, absolutely. So it is so important to speak openly about your concerns and to work with your doctor to make the best plan for the needs of the person requiring surgery. You know, despite the risks... It might have to go forward in order to save that person's life. And remember that the surgeon and medical staff want the best possible outcomes as much as you do and will do your best for their patient. Just understand that when it comes time for your loved one to come home, you might have to make some changes in the way that you're dealing with one another. They might need more care on a temporary basis or a permanent permanent basis. basis. With my dad, it was permanent. And start making plans for that before you actually take him home. So another question that you've gotten, that you've got, another question that you've received on a number of occasions is about the 
carrie um wandering and say leaving the house even as much as the middle of the night Wandering is, is again, something that's very common, and there, there are degrees of wandering, just like there's degrees of everything else. Correct. Um, some people consider it wandering if mom and dad get, get up and roams through the house throughout right. the day or throughout the night. And that could be they're trying to figure out where they are, or it could be their butt is tired from sitting in the chair all day long, and you're not there to tell them to go and sit down, so they're going to get up and they're going to walk around. And one of the things, uh, speaking of that, with my dad was because he sat a lot and watched TV a lot, he would doze off a lot. So his sleeping patterns were all screwed up. So he would get up and about at, at night. So that's also a consideration. Are they sleeping during the day and they're up at night and their butts are tired? Yeah. <laughs> now, when we talk about dangerous wandering, and that's when someone with dementia leaves the house unattended. Right. And that can lead to catastrophic results. You know, they wander off into the woods and, you know, people can't find them. They pass away. They might wander into traffic. They might wander into someone else's house yes. and then the police are called. We've seen that happen where mm -hmm. the person with dementia was actually shot by the police because the family thought there was an intruder. Um, and a, a question I got, which I found was very interesting, was from a woman who said her husband had left the house in the middle of the night. And she had found him before he went too far, but she wanted to know what she could do to keep him in the house other than locks or alarms to keep him from doing that again. And for some, locks seem to present a challenge to the one in care, and he or she becomes very ingenious in getting around them. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Just because somebody has dementia doesn't mean that they don't think. Mm -hmm. And you don't know what kind of memory will pop up from maybe a brother or sister pulled a prank on them and they couldn't get out of someplace and they figured out how to do it and that will come rushing back and the next thing you know that they're gone. Um, and alarms can frighten and confuse people with dementia. I know that I'd jump if, the, if an alarm's going off. And then they could get combative and suspicious, increasing the stress for you and for them. Yes, especially if they become suspicious. And if they think you're holding them prisoner... What would you do if somebody was holding you prisoner? I'd try to find any way I could to get the heck out of there. And in that moment, they not, may not recognize you. Right. You're the bad guy. They're going to get away. Right. Yes. And, and another thing is when they're thinking of their ingenious way to get around it, the cognizance of cause and effect, they don't understand the ramifications of what they're doing. They just know that this is a way I could unlock that lock or this is a way I could get out to where I want to go. Right. And don't understand uh, the effect it may have. Now, there are available door decals that create the illusion of a bookcase or a fireplace where that door is. It fits right over the door, and you just glue it on there, paste it on there, and when they go to the door, they don't. the door's not there anymore. I recently saw on one of the caregiver spaces that this was recommended in a care facility, and they are not allowed to do that in the care facility because of the fire codes. They don't want the doors hidden, wow. which kind of confused me because when your dad was in the hospital and they were concerned about his wandering, they put a, an electronic bracelet on him. When he approached the door, the door would lock. Right. And he said, 
I don't understand. Every time I get close to that door, I hear a noise. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, So depending on the facility, you might want to ask permission before suggesting something like that. But at home, it might be be a good solution. Right. Um, Since vision is affected and, and muted colors they often don't see, Sometimes something as simple as painting the door to match the walls might work in place of a decal if you're not comfortable doing that. Um, that's one way to do it. What about, what about the flooring? Usually we recommend that there's not a lot of throw rugs around with people with dementia because their, their ability to walk is somewhat impaired. But this is something that works really well for, for a lot of people. And again, I always say what works for you may not work for the other person. But if you put a black or a very dark colored rug in front of the door, it can appear to be a hole and they won't cross it. For fear of falling in the hole and hurting themselves. Absolutely. Mm. Self-preservation. And it's inexpensive. It can be moved if you want to move it. And, you know, you could maybe in a situation with your daddy, one of them said, every night there's a hole in the floor right here. (laughs) (laughs) But during the day, it's not there. You never know. Right. So what are some of the things that you could do um, if they want to get out during the day, so to speak? Well, you know, we talked about their butt being tired of sitting in the chair all day. And one of the things your dad also used to say is, I can't Can't loaf loaf all the time. I can't loaf all the time. So we're really doing both them and ourselves a disservice if we just want to park them in a chair and have them watch TV all day. because there's an energy buildup. They need to get that, and, and they'll sleep better at night if they get some exercise during the day. So going for a short walk um, once or twice a day if they're still able to walk. Or going for a drive and get them out of the house for a little bit. Um, that may help. Sitting all day gets boring. Um, give them little things to do around the house. Like fold a towel? Like fold, fold towels. towels, absolutely fold towels. Um, in our house, your your dad became. He told the doctors he's the only one that did any of the housework. Right. <laughs> um, we got him a feather duster, and on Monday he dusted upstairs, and on Tuesday he dusted downstairs, and uh, he dusted things that most people would never dust, and didn't dust things that typically get dusted, but that was okay. <laughs> that was his job, and, and he enjoyed doing that. And um, when he wanted to wander in the hospital, we told them, give him towels to fold. Yes, towels to fold are great. Um, sorting things. Yes. Um, colored beads. You know, put all the blue ones in, in one bucket and all the green ones in another bucket. Um, nuts and bolts. Yeah. You know, sort those things. Um, anything that gives them an I, some idea that they're accomplishing something. Right. If dad wants to leave the house, ask him where he's going. He may have a very clear idea of where it is he wants to go. It'll give you some insight of where his mind has taken him. And if it's possible, enter his world and ask him about that time or place. You might hear some very special memories. Maybe he's going to the market for his mother back in Italy, and he starts talking about the time that about it was difficult to get the mule down the hill to go and get supplies, but on the way back, he had to chase after the mule because, yeah, because it was eager to get it home. It was eager to go home. Yeah. Those kind of things. 
Now, one of the things when we gave my dad little chores to do, and it was nothing very extensive, but it would exhaust him. Yes. Even just dusting uh, a, a little bit or folding 10 towels, that exhausted him, and it was pretty much nap time. Yes. So it has a dual purpose. It gives him something to do, and it provides the downtime. Well, you mentioned a number of times when we were talking to people about how physically capable your father was. Yes. And his he's still got those muscle memories. He's still got that idea in his head of he should be doing something. Right. A- again, he grew up on a farm in Italy, and so it was from sun up to sundown that he had to work. And to sit just drove him absolutely out of his gourd. Now, if none of these suggestions work, you might have to use a lock or an alarm. And it doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong. It means that the disease has progressed to a new level. Now, locks can be placed high on the door and painted to match the color around them, making them harder to see. And always notify your local law enforcement and first responders that a person in your home has dementia and may need assistance if he or she should wander away and remind the dispatcher when you call for help. Now, a number of communities now have resources to help fi- help you find someone with dementia has, who has wandered away. They actually have GPS devices that can be worn like a watch. They use drones. There, there, there are resources available if this should happen. Another question um, that you've seen a number of times is, dad or mom insist on going to work. Again, that's, a, that's an example of somebody who's gone back in time. Right. Say, for instance, Dad happily retired 10 years ago. He loved having time to play golf, travel with Mom, spend time with his grandchildren. Now, every day and often throughout the night, he tries to leave the house, insisting he's going to be late. Men especially, but women even more, more and more, define themselves as the family breadwinner. And let's not forget the sheer number of hours put into a job. This right. is this is a routine they did every single day for years and years and years. And that's embedded in their brain. And I mentioned he may have gone back in time. He thinks he's younger than his years. And having a job is a necessity. He has to do this. He has to provide for his family. And trying to convince him that's not true, it will not work. It will make him angry and suspicious of your motives, wondering why you're trying to keep him from his job. Right. What the heck is going on here? And who do you think you are to tell me I can't go to work? And not only that, but if he's back 20 years prior, he doesn't recognize you today. He thinks of you as 20 years ago. And so he's wondering who you are to tell him that he can't go. So it becomes very adversarial in cases. So again, you want to be on his side. You don't right. want him or her to feel that you're keeping them from going to work. So you can tell him it's the weekend and a ho- or a holiday and there's no there's no work that day. You can tell him that. You can go to work on Monday. Today is a weekend or whatever it is. You took a vacation day. Yes. Well, no, I didn't. I didn't take a vacation day. You can't tell me. You you, you want him to yeah, let him know okay. <laughs> that there's no job to go to. If there's something he enjoyed doing with his time off, ask him to tell you about how much fun he had or what his proudest moment was. So if he was a golfer, ask him for about his best golf game ever 
or if he was a hunter, you know, show him pictures of, you know, going out, use it a way to distract him. Um, you can talk to him about special moments you shared with him on his day off. Mm-hmm. If you had some things that your dad liked to do with you on his day off, say, hey, dad, how about we go and get a cup of coffee? And Hey, mom, let's do some needlepoint. <laughs> Dad's and golf mom does needlepoint. And right? I'm Bobby. <laughs> and I'm Give him something to do so he's not feeling like he's got nothing to do. But right. yes, if working on cars, he loved cars. Show him videos of vintage cars. Yes. Ask him questions about how it was done. Those, you know, once you can get them talking about memories, we can get them distracted. Well, we've answered a lot of questions and we've talked about uh, what a caregiver consultant and a caregiver educator and a caregiver advocate does. If somebody wants to get in touch with you to have a consultation, they can go to the Roger That website to get in touch with you. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that dot show. This has been Roger That. And I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please, subscribe to the show, go to iTunes and post a review, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Let us know how we can help, or if you have a question you'd like for us to address, or if you just want to say hi, please do. To find out more about us, or where Bobby will be speaking next, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that. Show. Missing Link is a proud partner of Hearing Charities of America, a nonprofit organization that supports those who are deaf or hard of hearing. You can find out more about HCA on our website or go to hearingcharities.org. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. <laughs>